0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien. Hello, and welcome to episode 27. Today, we have on my good friend, Beverly Baker, with the Metropolitan Finishing School out in California. How are you, Beverly?
1: Hi, I'm doing well. I'm doing really great. Good. Despite the summer heat that's starting to roll in, but <laughs>
0: <I know. laughs> otherwise
1: and, doing good.
0: And do you guys have the humidity out here, out there that we do here in Georgia?
1: Um, I am in Los Angeles. It gets humid, but I've definitely lived in more humid places. Um, so this I, I, I will take it. I, I you know it's technically a desert, so I prefer it. <laughs> yeah, you guys Over have the humidity. I feel for you.
0: <laughs> I, I guess you guys have more smog than the humidity.
1: <laughs> we do. We definitely do. Um Of course, right now as we're recording this, we're in the middle of COVID shutdown, so everyone's talking about how. Uh, clean, clear, clearer, the air quality is. Although I, I don't know. I've been on some hikes. I'm like that's that looks just like any other day to me. So um, yeah, it's I don't know. We'll we'll see if uh, if I, I know. Yesterday I'm totally going off course. There was a fire like in the brush, like a couple of miles from my house, and there was literally wow. ash falling like in from the sky. I woke up smelling something burning something's and then on fire saw ash i was like oh my god we need to evacuate like on top of everything else happening so, snowing yeah, in la something
0: yeah as most yeah. of the uh yeah. <laughs> as most of the stuff settled down for the most part or is it still going strong what's what's the climate like out there right now uh
1: are you talking about like, with the protest yeah and such, or yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's actually um gosh i i'm completely have lost track of time um the first week i think the first couple of days of the first week things were really dicey and um you know protests were happening that were peaceful but then there were people taking advantage of the situation we had a lot of fires we had looting that was happening I, as i saw in other parts of the country as well yeah um but then from about you know the last 10 days or so on the the protests have been peaceful. And I think that people are doing a really good job of policing themselves. Um, I was at a protest myself where a young man was doing, you know, just random graffiti tagging, not even in like support of the cause, but just out there tagging. And the group themselves were like, Hey dude, that's not cool. Knock it off. And he did. Yeah. So I think people are really serious, um, about, you know, the message and want to make sure that it's not, not given a, a bad name. So I, I Knock on wood, you never know how things are going to go, but I think hopefully, um, we're focus people are focused more on the message, and there's a lot more protests I'm seeing planned that are coming up. Um, uh, June is, um, I believe, uh, related to gay pride, and so there's a lot of, you know, not just Black Lives Matter, but, you know, the vulnerabilities of, of yeah. the gay black population as well, people are focusing on. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's the world, the world we're in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we're here today to talk about you and your business and what you're doing and um, asphalt anthropology and uh, Metropolitan Finishing School and how that all came about and then talk about some things as far as, you know, uh, people, maybe women specifically um, getting more interested in their personal safety and what what they can do to do that and what we can do in the self-defense community to help them along in that journey. But, um, before we get started, I always like to have my guests, um, talk about themselves. I think sometimes that makes uh, folks uncomfortable. I know it does me, but you know, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your history, how you got into this and and what you're doing.
1: Yeah. Um, so how, how I got into all this, um, I guess like a lot of people, you can kind of point back to when I got started in martial arts. Um, I, yep. in high school and I, it's 30 something years ago now. I can't believe it. Right.
2: Um, Time flies. but
1: yeah, you know, before, before martial, yeah, it does fly. Um, but before martial arts, I'd always been involved in some kind of sport. I did gymnastics, ran track, did softball, um, played lacrosse, field hockey. Like I was always into something. I just loved moving. Um, I wasn't and I wouldn't but I wouldn't call myself an athlete right like I'd always make the team but I was like never the star athlete so yeah. I went. that's something that I always like emphasize with people when I do the physical stuff it's like I've just been doing this a long time but inside I feel like the biggest klutz like I am not <laughs> like when people use the word athlete I'm like yeah I'm just like now I'm just like this frumpy middle-aged lady um, but it's for me I've always just loved martial arts I've lo- or just loved sport and moving my body I Um I, I got kind of hooked on martial arts in the most weird way possible, which was I had two older brothers yep. who would watch those cheesy come through <laughs> 70s movies where, like, yeah. the words wouldn't match up with the saying. And and so, you know, I, I also kind of grew up in a, in a pretty rough neighborhood, like in a working class, like row houses, and then at the end of the block were, were projects. And so, you know, my immediate neighborhood was kind of safe, but then, like, you kind of step out of that or you go to the bus stop to go to school, it was, there was definitely some uh, violence to mitigate as a kid. So I just, I think that's one reason I got drawn to the martial arts. One, because was yeah. beautiful, yeah. but I saw it as a way to kind of, you know, for protection. Um, so, you know, I started that path, started doing Taekwondo, uh, stuck around like the Asian martial arts for a while, experimented with a lot of different things. Um, wound up getting my second don in a system called Cheyenne Roo. Okay. which is a combination of uh, Taekwondo, Karate, Aikido, Kung Fu, and Jiu-Jitsu. Um, I was there wow. about 12 years, had a great experience with the people, um, and then I just kind of wanted to move on and, and try some other things. So I spent about 12 years combined vacillating between uh, Krav Maga and boxing. Yeah. Um, so I spent about 10, 10 or so years doing that. And then the last two to three years, uh, I've been doing judo, um, which I wish I started when I was younger because right. <laughs> it is uh, my 49 year old body feels right. every bit of it.
0: Hitting those mats. Um,
1: but <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I've, I've competed, uh, throughout kind of my martial arts career. Um, not that hasn't been a focus, but with judo, I've been doing more of it and I have to tell you, and we'll probably get into this in a little bit, but, um, I it, 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 I've learned so much about self-defense and what it what for me like for someone like me at my age or you know different people's age and physical ability it's like yeah. nobody wants to go crash into those mats like I just like so. I, <laughs> I was competing against like women half my age yeah and I was doing okay but I was it just like nearly physically broke me and I was like all of that like informed like what I'm teaching now and how I'm teaching because I feel like that's just not realistic for the average average person. Yeah. Um, point. but, uh, yeah, but, but, how I got into self-defense specifically was through my, through my martial arts training. It was kind of like, I think a natural progression, even though it wasn't really on my radar, I, I didn't plan on doing it. And honestly, I kind of got guilted into it by my instructors to teach self-defense. <laughs> um, I think it was something because, Oh, I was, she, there's a woman, she has like the passion for hitting things. She has fun. She has the ability go, go be a teacher. Yeah. And I kind of, I was like, okay, like I, like I didn't have the kind of the internal drive to do it, to be honest with you. Sure. Um, but I, I did it because, you know, kind of in, in the Asian arts, it's like, oh, there's this, you know, ethos of giving back. So I did, I did my duty and I really wound up really being very passionate about it and, and just really um, caring much, very much about the people I worked with and trained with, and just kind of seeing the light bulbs go off for them. So it was, yeah. it was never anything like I just kind of got into all this very selfishly and out of sport and out of fun and really enjoying it. Um, I wound up actually becoming the general manager of a martial arts school for about seven years. And okay. um, from from like a personal responsibility slash um, business point of view, even like I really built up the self defense program there. Um, and so it, 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 and we, I know you want to talk more and we'll get into that, just kind of like all the things I learned about, you know, how to get people in classes and what works, what doesn't work. I've, you know, definitely been down that path. Um, but ironically, I, I moved out of that role as being the general manager of a martial arts school, um, and because I was inspired to go back to school and finish my undergraduate undergraduate education. Yeah. Um, when a young girl uh, was murdered at a high school, that, uh, her name was Ortrala Mosley. And this was in Austin, Texas. This was back in 2003. Okay. And I took her murder very personally. She was murdered by her ex-boyfriend, just mm. stabbed her to death right there in the hall of school. And that was, like, a, a person or a school that I'd never, like, gotten to connect with. I was very active working with different schools, and I just never got to connect with her. And, you know, clearly, you can't work with everybody. But in my ego mind, I just I just took it very personally that I, I never got to work with her. And so sure. I, I took it upon myself. I joined the school district's um, task force and my to study violence in schools and, like, what's the outcome of, you know, all this going to be... And I remember like, putting it together a proposal and working with other people to get support. And my, my plan was I wanted to see self-defense uh, curriculum, just some basics taught just as part of PE, right? Like yeah. you learn how to run. You learn how to dribble a ball. Like let's learn how to escape from a grab. Let's learn how to throw a punch, that kind of thing. Yeah. And got a lot of good support except from the man who was going to make that final decision. Right. Um, who was the superintendent. And his response to me was he didn't want girls learning how to be violent. Oh, and God. the fact that a woman just got murdered, that pissed me off. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so, yeah, it was, it, it, that, it was, that was a, a tough time just kind of going through all that, um, you know, wanting to be of service in that way and just having it uh, not taken seriously. I, a lot of schools, I think, have come around since then. This was, again, back in 2003. But at the yeah. time, it was pretty... I didn't know of another district doing it. Um So, you know, it, it, that really changed the course of my life in that, you know, oh, here's this PhD doctor and I'm going to beat him at his own game. Um, If I need to affect social change, I'm going to go back and I'm going to finish my education and like, let's, let's get it on. Like, let's, let's do some social change here that, to get people some tools. Because I knew his answer was wrong. I just, I felt inadequate to make the right argument. Um So since then, I've, I've gone on, I've earned an MBA, uh, Master of Business. And so self-defense teaching is, it's not my full-time job. Um, I have a whole, like, business career that I love and feel just, like, really fulfilled in. But honestly, self-defense, it's just something that won't quit me. It's just something that keeps circling back in my life, even if I, you know, take a little break. It just, I don't know. It just keeps coming back to be of service to my community in that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's
1: that's my story and and how we came together.
0: I can relate. Um, so I got a bunch of questions out of that and, uh, doing my yeah brief preliminary research. Um, when I first reached out and, you know, I've been following you for a while on social media and whatnot. I think we talked about the first time I reached out to you, but, um, You uh, took some Krav, are you taking out there in LA or was this prior to you being in California? Like what's your Krav experience like? Do you like it? Do you think it's effective? My background is partially in Krav, so that's why I'm asking.
1: Yeah, I've actually done it at a couple of different places. I started it in Austin, okay. Texas, yep. um, at a really great facility there called uh, Fit and Serialist. Okay. And So that's who I started Crowd with. They're affiliated with Worldwide. Gotcha. Which is Based here in LA. Yes. And then when I came to LA, I moved out here about nine years ago. Um, I, I trained at Worldwide, uh, the, um, the West Side School for a while and then Um, I live more East, so I wound up going to another school, which, uh, wasn't as crazy about, so I won't name check them, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) but, um, yeah, I I mean, I think, you know, Krav in general, like, like any place you go to, it's, it's, there's, you know, people ask me about, Oh, what should I do? What should I train? It's like, go find a really good teacher who knows what they're doing. Like these labels and names of schools don't mean anything, um, because you may have a really good Krav instructor and a really bad crop instructor yep. and or same thing for jujitsu or same thing for you know kung fu like whatever you want to do um it's really boils down to the instructor so you know i've had both in crop and then in other types of martial arts you know have have had positive and negative experiences yeah. um you know just kind of based on the attitude based on their knowledge based on their goals and you know that's something I think you know everybody has to take into consideration um, when you're when you're hunting around and you know when when people hunt around for a school, go go take a trial lesson, go hang out there, yeah. take, sign up for three months, like go for it. And then like I think a lot of people think that they go somewhere and then they have to stay. And you know I, I, of course I'm biased because as I've told you, my career is like I've I've been to a lot of different places, and you know a lot of that is a function. I've just moved, um, or sure. I've. It's like, oh, I want to learn a new skill. Like I got into judo because I wanted to get better at kind of the body weight stuff and in fighting. I uh, naturally, I'm a striker. I love striking. It makes me happy. Yes. Um, I had a great workout this morning. <laughs> I got a new new set of mitts, and I'm like glowing. Nice. Um, so you know, judo is not necessarily my 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 natural fit, but yep. you know, personally, it's like I think there's a lot of value. And checking out different styles. Yep. But of course, somebody else is going to have different goals. Like if somebody else's goals is just strictly to learn self-defense, then probably hanging out in a judo club um, is is not the best bet. But again, it all comes down to, I think, you know, the instructor for sure.
0: And what your goals are uh i noticed some of the certifications and things you've gone through i noticed a couple that struck me um tell me about your cert experience i did that here in my county where i reside as well and i thought it was great i got a lot out of it what was it like for you and where did you do it did you do that in la or was it somewhere else
1: yeah no it was here so again um so CERT. I fell into by accident and by a mistake, every, everything I do, I'm like, Oh, I I just found it here. I had been looking to re-sign up for my red cross, get that, um, certification all redone. Yeah. And just in Googling the the place to do that, cert popped up. So community emergency response team, and so I was yeah. like, okay, um, I'm going to finish my Red Cross stuff and then let me check this thing out. And so CERT, I did it with my husband. It was a nine, I believe a nine week course that lasted three hours. Um, and it was sponsored by it's a free course put on by the, uh, Los Angeles fire department. Yeah. And for nine weeks, we go through different kinds of disasters and like what your response can be. So of course, Here in LA, like I said, like I woke up this morning, the other day and there's like ash falling from the sky. Yeah. Um, other days it's earthquakes. Some days it's, you know, uprisings, like you never know. Um, and so it it really taught me, um, a lot about like the physical, like what a fire does or how an earthquake operates. So it gives you that knowledge. Yeah. But I think even more importantly, it's like, and this is what I teach in metropolitan finishing school. You're in a city environment. Like what are the tools that are around you? What are the risks? What are the liabilities? Yeah. So for example, when and if an earthquake hits, like I now have the tools and I know where to go in my home and in my neighbor's home to turn off like the gas and the yeah. water. And I know that why that's important. Um, so I have those basic skills, but I think even more, and this is, Something I teach in Metropolitan Finishing School. In fact, I just, I did a post about it this morning on Instagram is we are our own first responders. Absolutely. Um, you know, if, if God forbid the, the, the big, you know, earthquake hits or something happens, people aren't going to just come running to my house on me. The fire department <laughs> has <laughs> yeah. many other priorities to yeah. do. And I am not one of them. Like they've got their list and, and, and insert, like we talked about triage and we talked about like how they make those decisions. Um, um and so it was very eye opening it gave me yeah. one an appreciation for what they do um and it also it's like okay as a human being walking around on the face of this earth like what what can i do to protect myself and my loved ones yeah. from doing cert was just a natural fit and, and i think it's interesting if you ask like where i took it and so like in la it's like you know of course basic principles are going to be the same like yeah. you know don't, don't you know how do you store water that kind of thing but you know, in LA, it's like you know we have a lot of these crazy natural disasters that yeah. can happen. So it, it's really kind of like you know, I think really important. And I've I've loved um, encouraging friends and neighbors to go and take it. Um,
2: I do too. The smarter
1: and stronger they are, yeah, the better that I'm going to make out at the end. So yeah, CERT is CERT is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I thought so too. I've I. Found out about it through uh, one of my firearms uh, buddies who had gone through it at the same county uh, that I reside in. And it's done um, at the county level here. And um, my county has an emergency management something something division. Anyway, they're the ones who are responsible for putting it on here. And I I took away a lot of information as a matter of fact it made me do some things that i hadn't been doing for example having a couple more fire extinguishers throughout the house right Mm -hmm. just some basic stuff like that but i thought the knowledge was invaluable um and i think it's great for anyone and you know it's it's free there's really not an excuse not to do it um especially if you think you should be in charge of your own personal safety which i happen to But it was great. Yeah. For me, I think the biggest thing that I struggled with in class um, is the triage and mass casualties, you know, dealing with mass casual mass Mm -hmm. casualties and the fact that they don't worry about CPR and anything like that. Like if that person's in that state, leave them and go on to the next because it's about the greater good for the masses, not the individuals. And I struggled with that because I'm certified in first aid and CPR and all that good stuff, too. So for me it was like wait a minute I can't I can't work on this person here that might need it I have to just move on and so that was eye opening. So there was a lot of there was a lot of interesting points made in that course and I think ours was 8 or 9 weeks as well every Tuesday night for 2 or 3 hours something like that. So yeah I think it's great yeah. and it's I- if if you have that program in your community I highly recommend it.
1: I hear you on the triage because I, I distinctly remember we watched a video of an event and then it was like interactive where you had to like triage and yep. say what you were going to do. Yep. And that was really hard. And there was yep. one where it was like a two year old baby mm. and you had to like, be like, Nope, the baby's dead. And it was just like, Oh, it was just like, like that was such a, I mean, it's a movie for heaven's sake. Like, yeah. I can't even imagine. <laughs> so, like, yeah. But just to kind of like come to that kind of, decision tree of like you gotta you gotta pass over that two-year-old because they're not yeah. gonna make it um
2: yeah.
1: and yeah. then have you had the chance jim to um in, in addition to follow up on the cert like in, in our county there's like events throughout the year that you can go to where they host like um like take shootings and stuff like that yes. like uh, have you yes have you had the chance to do any of that yeah so, so i don't so do, do it know, all the it time but i practice. but i
0: have taken it uh I have taken advantage of a couple of volunteer opportunities I guess for us here when you get through the cert program and you get your certification in cert um you're now on a volunteer list and so you're able to participate in some mm-hmm. things and so uh a couple of things that I was fortunate enough to participate in were active shooter, active killer and so I've walked. I've had a lot of training around active shooting, killing, whatever, but a couple of the activities that we got to do, which was really cool was we shut down an entire local mall one early morning on the weekend and had an active shooter scenario there. Mm. I got to play a victim, yeah. you know, uh, both, c- There's been three times that I've done it. One was in the mall and I was a victim. One was at a uh, mass transit train, underground train station here in Atlanta. They shut it down and it was full force. uh, Wow. Fire and uh, LEO from multiple cities and counties came in live. Well, not live as in live bullets, but, you know, gunfire explosions going off, triage happening, getting carried out on gurneys. And then another time I got to do, um, uh, school shooting, uh, where I was just a standby, but they had to, you know, check me out and I got the knee and the back of the neck and all of that treatment, um, when they came through. So yeah, I've got to experience some of that stuff and that's also uh very valuable because now you got to see how it works yeah. from multiple angles and you know better what to do or what to be prepared for.
1: Yeah. When, when I went to an event like that and they, for one of the drills, they put me in like the overseer of triage. I know I'm getting the terminology wrong. Cause yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I've done the training and I go to like two or three refreshes a year, but like, yeah. two, it's like you kind of like, you can only do so much, but they, for one section, they put me in charge of triage and they did this thing where they gave me people. And then at some point they just sent in new people randomly and pulled out other people. Like they were doing it till like, <laughs> You know, with your really mind. be challenging i was yeah. like oh my gosh yeah. and so you know like i did it okay i was able to manage and get everyone triaged but it, it just was such a um you know again you know that it's not real but at the same time like if it is real like just all these moving parts to manage and again as a cert member like they're not you know L A S E is like so many pros they're not going to like look me for it but again it's right kind of working that kind of executive functioning and, and just gave you such an appreciation for what they do. Um, but yeah, I mean, like in the, in the community where I live, like God forbid if my building falls down, you know, you're suddenly in that situation. Um, so it's, yeah, incredibly valuable. I love that you asked me that question.
0: No, I, I, I saw it and I was like, I've got to ask her about that because we've got that in common too. And um, it's great. And you, and you know, the, when it started here, it's kind of evolved or whatever you want to say here in my county. But when it started, it was meant to arm some civilians so that they, if a disaster, or mass scale disaster did strike, whatever that might be, that they could be called up to come yeah. in and support first responders should first responders be overwhelmed. Yep. And since then, due to politics or some things that passed certain members have tried to do. They've kind of scaled that back and said, look, we're not looking to call you guys up necessarily, but here's some information for you and your family. And I don't think that's a bad thing because I think more people should get this sort of information to protect just themselves and their family and their loved ones in their home, right? It's not necessarily that you have to go out in the community and do stuff. But just being able to better look after your own, I think, is is a good enough reason to look into that program.
1: Yeah. I mean, if, if nothing else, I know how to, again, like shut off the, the electricity and the, or, or the, 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 the gas, all that stuff to my place, my neighbor's place. Yeah. And then the high rise that's next to me. So they don't blow up and fall on me. Right. And so, yeah, I'm not looking to be a hero. No, <laughs> I, do, I am kind of a very selfish oriented person. It's like <laughs> as long as me and mine. I'll, yeah. are taken care of. I'll, I'll, I'll start to look out beyond that. But yeah, I mean, that's what I love. Cert is totally up your alley, you know, with, with the idea of that personal responsibility. So yeah, yeah great program. And I, yeah. I, I will brag that LAFD, they tell us they're the ones who started first Cert in the country.
2: Oh, um, yeah, And then it was
1: FEMA, who came to them and modeled it nationally. And uh, then it's gone on to other places. But right I, on. Yeah, our, our, our instructor is very proud.
0: That's <laughs> awesome. How it, it, and, yeah, yeah, I think it's a great program, and we walked away with a very yeah. cool wrench to say to to turn off said gas. So that's a bonus too. Oh,
1: isn't that the coolest? <laughs> I love it in the little hard hat and the vest, right. and yeah, yeah, it's
0: pretty cool. Uh, the other thing I uh, uh, I wanted to ask you about is this understanding violence from Emory. So I gather that you were in Atlanta in one point, or was this an online thing? Because I think if it's online, I definitely want to do it.
1: It is online, so you can do it. Right um, on. I, I will say, I, I have a brother and sister-in-law in Atlanta, but, and shout out to them. <laughs> but, um, no, it, I did that online. That came to me by way of Randy King, who is just awesome. Yeah. Um, and it, it was a really great course in that it had a very kind of, um, scholarly academic approach. And so it was a very kind of rational, cool look at violence. Um, yeah. there was, there's some things that kind of like made, my skin crawl. I'll be honest with you. Sure. Um, like one instructor said something about, yeah, teaching people, women self-defense is victim blaming. So like, I didn't, I don't have time for that, but overall right. it was fantastic. And I really appreciated all the statistics and the data that they went into. And I really appreciated, I learned so much about how drugs and alcohol and the impact that it has on various types of crimes, and sure. um, various types of crime, both on stranger and then in the home. So it really that was incredibly valuable. I thought to you know get real about the data. So I think a lot of times in self defense we're always like defending up against the boogeyman and <laughs> right. um, you know the guy jumping out from behind the bushes. But when you look at the data, like
2: it's not you
1: can like get pretty specific. Like violence has a pattern. Like let's let's decode it. Yeah. And, um, I really, really appreciated that about that course
0: sold. You've got me on board. Cause I saw that and I was like, Hmm, yeah. that's right here. <laughs> I'm going to have to check that one out. So that's why I wanted to ask. Okay. So now the more obvious yeah. question, why metropolitan finishing school? How does that equate to self-defense and personal safety? What is, what is going on there?
1: Yeah, so Metropolitan Finishing School, it's, it's meant to be tongue in cheek. I'm, I'm kind of a sarcastic person. Um <laughs> so we are not a finishing school in the sense about, you know, here's how to sip tea with your pinky up. Um, but it's more about the skills of navigating public spaces, particularly urban spaces, but it can be any public space, how to do that with skills. So it's like, what are the things that like, if you were dropped in a city, any city or maybe a specific city that you would need to know, that you would need to know about how to read the environment, how to read the people, how to read the culture. Do you know how to read the graffiti? Do you know, like, if you see graffiti, do you know what that means? And so it it came about because kind of a couple of things. Um, Again, I'd been teaching self-defense for a couple of decades, the kind of traditional, what I call mainstream, where it's like you kick, you punch, you yell, you (laughs) set boundaries, that kind of stuff. Yeah incredibly valuable yeah. um but it, i had kind of two awakenings here in the last couple of years for myself um one just being in la um i've been here nine years and just it's a very simple example like mainstream self-defense will tell you that if you cross if you see someone down the street that looks sketchy then cross the street and get to, to keep going where you're going sure um, but the truth the truth is in uh, what's happening uh, in, in the communities here if you saw somebody sketchy you would never get to where you're going because you'd be zigzagging across the street all day. Um, and so it's really about being more skilled than just crossing the street. It's things like how to maybe use camouflage. it's things about how to use your environment. so I've had folks who look like a threat. I would either like blend into the crowd that was walking by or just stepping behind a pole while I wait for the light. And as soon as like, they don't see me, I'm no longer like the target of their attention. Um, so it's, it's taking things to kind of a higher level of skill because frankly, I don't want to go rolling around on the streets with anybody here in
2: LA.
1: I don't want to even touch them. Um, so if I can employ some of these other kind of, um, preemptive skills, that's going to be like a much better win for me. Um, some of it also is de-escalation and even de-escalation, de-escalating of mentally ill folks. This is something Mm. I've not had any formal training in. Um, but just by the seat of my pants have had to learn how to kind of, someone was coming at me one time and just kind of put my hands up and he was yelling at me and there was really no place for me to go because of traffic. And I just put my hands up and I go, Hey man, we're cool. And just that, like, it's, stunned him like he didn't know what to say to that right Right. kind of talk to him like he was a normal person but kind of set that boundary yeah and like that he kind of just stopped in his tracks and i just like hustled the heck out of there just kept going down the street and then like i got far enough away and i i looked over my shoulder he like bellowed at me like yelled something but it's yeah you you know it's it's i think like a higher level of skill that i'm wanting to share with people more than just Don't look at your phone and you know, here's how to punch something because you know, sometimes you need to look at your phone. So you'll never hear from me like, don't look at your phone, but I'll be like, okay, if you need to look at your phone, what's the best place to do that? Maybe it's going up this super long escalator where nobody's around and you have to text your friend and say, I'm lost. Can you meet me at the other entrance or something like that? It's like it's, it's, it's about just kind of being in public space and using it smartly and wisely. Yeah. Um, so that's to me, it's all about the finishing school um, aspect of it. It's just how do you be in the city um, or just any public space? I don't I don't want to limit this. Because you, you may be in another town that's not as dicey. Um, you can still use the principles. You're just not lucky you. You won't have to use them. Yeah, like so principles often.
0: apply everywhere. Right. You just may not have to use Absolutely. them all. So is it safe to yes, say with exactly. a name like Metropolitan Finishing School that you intentionally targeted um, helping women more so than general populace? Or would you consider yourself like whoever wants to know I'm I'm there for them? Or are you really targeting w- women?
1: So my goal and intention, I, so I created a class called Asphalt Anthropology, yes. which is really what I'm most known for. Um, and that my, my goal is specifically for women, but I will tell you, I have 50, 50 men and women showing up to classes. Sometimes it's a little bit more women, but I have plenty of men coming. Um, I'm a very big believer in being specific and knowing your audience and knowing what their needs and their pain points are. And so uh, that, that's how I've kind of gone about my business, but it has also attracted people who live in this environment. They're like, I run into this situation too. And just because I'm a dude, I still don't know how to deal with right. it. Yeah. So, you know, I will, you know, I'm not, not going to exclude anyone, but in, in, in my conversations, it is about particularly for women. Um, but it is costs are absolutely open for anyone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you've got a good mixed turnout anyway. So I know we wanted to talk about your Asphalt Anthropology. You want to get into that now?
1: Yeah, let's do that.
0: Yeah.
1: So, yeah, so Asphalt Anthropology, it's an hour and a half class. And um, depending on certain circumstances, we'll either do a people-watching course after it for a small group. um, But it's always kind of the core curriculum where we get into, you know, kind of the basic skills for navigating the city. And it really starts with myth-busting Um, but seeing some myths so that people can kind of change their frame of reference and talk about, um, you know, goals that people have for committing violence. Um, and you know, if, if someone is just after your stuff, like you do not want to like necessarily try to deescalate that, right. Or even someone who completely set a different set of circumstances is mentally ill, you know, I've been lucky. There's a couple of times I deescalated it because I was cornered. Like I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> right. Um. Like my my one of my big sayings is always distance is your best friend. Like yes. just always get distance. Um. So you know, it's it, it's kind of about mis- busting those myths. Like you know, people will say, "Oh, violence never solves anything," and I feel like when mm. people say that and if they believe that, that's sticking your head in the sand right. and not acknowledging that in the moment it actually solved it for that person. Yeah. And if they're willing to threaten you with violence, or they're willing to use violence, then you need to just like, let's have really upfront conversations about it. Um, And one of the big things, again, and I just kind of uh, coincidentally posted about it today on Instagram is the myth of the first responder versus an emergency responder. So an emergency responder are, you know, firefighters, police officers, EMTs, those are people whose everyday lives, they get a lot of practice in dealing with emergencies. They get training related to that. Um, but for you and me walking down this, or, or me, it sounds like you're, you're in that one of those fields. Um, but for me, I'm a business person. Yeah. And even though I study these things, it's not my job, but right. the first responder, I am still the first responder because it's the it's hairs that go up on the back of my neck, or it's that feeling I get in my stomach or the thing that catches my eye. That's a first responder, because if you wait for like some Superman to come in and save you while you're getting mugged, you think if you think they're going to punch him in the no- the mugger in the nose and forget him about back, it, yeah, that's just not reality. Right. It's not reality. And when you know if. if we hear this all the time like oh I called the cops and they didn't come for an hour and it's like yeah they're and they're only get, they're going to get there and they're going to do paperwork right, right. like they yeah. would like to maybe do more but like there's only so much they can do and yeah. um it's really interesting to kind of have those conversations because I think there is this misconception of oh if I'm getting mugged and and some, if I can call the cops like I'll be okay or if there's more cops around I'll be okay and so my
2: kind of approach time. is yeah.
1: Yeah, if yeah, if like if those things happen to be around, that's awesome. Um, or even like a security guard, or even just like a really kind bystander. Like you can't count on that happening. It it does happen and it's nice when it does, but you've like the first thing you've gotta do is like, why does my gut feel that way? Like pay attention to that, honor that. And so we kind of we in asphalt we go through one, breaking that myth down and two, like, okay, what are the cues that you're seeing? Because a lot of times I, I also share with people, it's like, you don't have to necessarily know exactly what the problem is to just leave and get out. Yep. But if you can articulate it to yourself, it's valuable because then you can kind of see it in other contexts. Yep. Um, if you have to, you know, articulate it to a police officer, you know, that's helpful too.
2: Yep. Um,
1: but you know, the idea of being able to trust your God. I, I, I taught a class one time where we were talking about red flags and being targeted by someone. Yeah. And the student said, well, I was out for a run and this car started following me slow. And so I went down a cul-de-sac and they turned down the cul-de-sac and then I came out of the cul-de-sac. They came out of the cul-de-sac and I went down another cul-de-sac and they followed me. And then finally I outran them and got away. And the question to me was, were there any red flags there? And I was like, what took you so long? Yeah. Every red flag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. It's like, you just did. And I, and I feel like, you know, it's, she's a very bright woman. She, you know, sure. and, and a smart woman. It's not that she didn't know, but it's just that, you know, we're not used to seeing the world, um, in that way. And so that's why we kind of get into the psychology a bit of like, what a bad guy, you know, looks for how they operate. And, and so like, if you see that thing and a cluster of things, like, you need to make a plan, yeah. um, and it's all based on behavior. I'm very big on this. is not that you know based on how someone's dressed. This is not based on the color of their skin or the baseball cap they're wearing. Sure. You need to be able to articulate what that behavior is. They're you know they're looking at you and inching forward and trying to be sneaky about it, um, or they're kind of like no one else on the train and they come and sit next to you. Like those are specific behaviors. So I'm really trying to combat the whole. Karen, (laughs) Karen freaking out and calling the cops and everybody. I feel like this hopefully can be, you know, a skill that people can, you know, look at specific behaviors and be like, okay, this is, I need to take action and what's that action going to be? Um, I also walk folks through, um, the different kinds of violence. There's the social versus predatory, what you can deescalate, what you need to avoid. Um, pre-attack cues, we get into both. Um, like the imminent stuff, like how they're, you know, getting red in the face or you right. know, just how they're kind of physically responding um, or, again, the behavioral stuff. Um, and, you know, this stuff I've learned through hard knocks. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: You know, it's like I, you know, when I was a kid, kind of the biggest challenge in my household when I was about 10 or 12. I wanted to go for a walk downtown and my parents were like, no, that's uh, dangerous. No.
2: Yeah. And
1: so I found out like I like they just couldn't keep me hemmed in. And so I just <laughs> found out really young that like I need to kind of keep my act together or my parents will never let me out. And so, um, you know, a lot of the wisdom, you know, for all my martial arts training, a lot of the wisdom, I really feel it comes from the 10 year old girl that I once was that knew how to dodge trouble Yeah, and yeah. that's not unique to me. I'm not tr- saying that to build myself up. I'm saying as no. as human beings we're wired for survival and even at 10, I knew that guy looking at me funny or that car slowing down is trouble. Yeah. So listen to that. Don't like hang out in an asphalt. We also talk about, you know, the mindset of like, rudeness like it's okay to be rude. I'm from the east coast, right outside Philly, so I I'm like okay with that and it's built in. <laughs> like yeah, some of my classes I literally have to teach coach uh the women like it's okay and like you know, they may not get to 10 on a scale of 1 to 10. If they get to a 5 in that class, that's okay. Um but we need to like get you to a 10 at some point. Yeah. Um so it's like yeah. kind of that it's that mindset. And then conversely and this is going to sound kind of, um, opposite of self-defense. Um, and I've kind of taken some heat for this in some articles I've written, but the idea of compassion and again, living where I live in Los Angeles, um, there's a lot of homelessness. There's a lot of people really suffering and I am pretty good at just kind of like keeping going, keeping my head down and just like just going to where I'm going. Um, but there have also been times where there was something inside of me that said, I need to reach out to that person and do something. And, you know, I wrote an article about that a couple of months ago where this young woman had walked into a, a restaurant where I was sitting and it was like me and like two other people sitting in the restaurant. And she just smelled of the street. She looked shoveled and she just came in like this broken animal, just like this scared deer or whatever you want to say. Yeah. And she skirted around the sides of the restaurant and then she just made a beeline to a table that had not been bussed and just starts eating the food there. And, you know, there's all that calculation that we have to do in that, you know, do I want to help this person? You know, what's the risk to myself? And I made the calculation um to give her some cash which is like super super rare for me. Yeah. Um so I gave her yeah. some cash and I had to hand it to her cuz I thought well if I put it on the table though think she's stealing it so let me just give her cash. And so I did that and when I wrote about the experience and kind of like detailing like the things I looked for and I talked about some of the times where I screwed up and it didn't go so well um you know I kind of caught some heat for it you know from folks who are kind of more of the military mindset and they're like well you know if you reach out like that, you're going to end up dead. And it's like, Mm. you know, maybe in some places you can kind of have that colder heart. For me personally, if I see it every day, I can't be a robot. I have to be discerning, but not, you know, a bleeding heart, but discerning. And, you know, and that's something that does come up in classes from time to time. And I've talked to other female instructors that I think, they'll say students will say this to other women maybe not so much to men instructors but like you know there's that compassion side or how can i help side and it's it's tough i mean it's it's tough when you see people in some of these situations and you know it's i'm not going to fix the world i understand that um but you know for that one person if i can
0: facilitate a meal, you know, that's something else. Yeah. You know, you, you make a great point and you're the first person that I've ever talked to or had any self-defense conversation with that brings in the, the concept of compassion relative to self-defense. And it's not that it has anything to do with self-defense. It's about to, to the word that you use discerning when you should and shouldn't get involved at that level. Right. And there's going to be times where you may feel compelled to show compassion uh, at, because if you followed the typical self-defense uh, formula, you would just walk on by and avoid that not knowing, you know, or maybe your gut is telling you this could be a little off for whatever reason. Normally you'd walk by that or whatever the case may be. But, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's my, then, t- my that's my like, takeaway actually, for today. I think. Cool.
1: Cool. And, you know, and there's absolutely, you know, I'm not going to judge you if, For anybody if they if they just keep walking right like they're gonna do what they need to do yeah because their ultimately responsibility is to them and to their family right and it's like i you know just you see it so much it's like it's just it just weighs on you and and i feel like i become less human yeah if i don't act on those times where i've determined that it's safe for me so you know this what the conversation we're having may not be appropriate for everybody. Um, and I just want to make that distinction as well. But, you know, I feel like with, with discernment, there's another possibility that's available.
0: Well, I think, you know, again, you make a great point. Um, compassion, Discernment, And, you know, it ties back in, in my mind to listening to that sixth sense, that intuition, those, as I said uh, on a previous podcast, you know, the uh, spidey senses, right? And then being able to interpret mm-hmm. those like it's okay to yeah. uh, be rude. It's okay to keep on walking but maybe you interpret your spidey senses as, I actually need to help this or help this individual or reach out to this particular person this time. Normally when I have these uh, feelings in my in, in my gut, I, I need to keep walking. But in this case, there's something telling me I have an opportunity to help and just being able to, again, use that word, discern. Um, but the point is listening to those, uh, to your intuition and those spidey senses.
1: Yeah we're
0: on the same page. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. So, you know, I think I mentioned to you um, previously that I'd talked to Kelly with the diamond arrow group and you said you'd talked to her a few times at least or whatever. And <clears throat> she did a little bit of research to try to understand why women in particular just did not do more with their personal safety or didn't take it more serious or however you want to say that. And I think the two yeah. things that, uh, two, th- two main things seem to keep women out of learning more about their, you know, taking their personal seri- uh, safety ser- more serious or studying more about personal safety and what they should be doing for themselves and their loved ones. And the two things that she uncovered was one was time for themselves. Um, Maybe they have careers, they get home, they got two crazy kids running around the house, they got their hubbies coming home, whatever it is. So having time or being able to make the time Uh, to be able to look further into that. And then the other reason was, is just intimidation, you know, intimidation of going to classes, intimidation about getting beat up by other women or bigger men, whatever the case may be. Um, What, what do you see as being the challenges? And then, you know, what can we do about some of this? Right. That's like an ongoing question I'm trying to figure out.
1: Oh, heck yeah. I've been grappling with that, that question for decades. And um, that's, And those answers are um, a a good start. Um, I think that those kind of get at the surface of why people don't take it. But I think, and I'm totally guilty of this. I'm like, how I did all this work. Why is no one coming to my class? (laughs) Um, But I think we're asking the wrong question. I think that's definitely the wrong question. I think the question is, what problem am I solving for somebody? Yeah. And that's just like how business, no matter what your business is, that's how it goes about with things. So if people aren't showing up for your classes, it's never your audience's fault. Um, If people aren't showing up, it's about you pivoting and rethinking your message. And so, you know, whether it's a personal safety class, whether it's, you know, a movie, whether no matter what the, the product is, you know people before they give up their time and money, because those are just very precious commodities, yep. um, they want to know that you're solving a problem. And so I worked in a, in a for a large company at one time where I was the director of business development, and I had people coming to me all the time. Part of my job was to hear pitches about their app idea. You know, apps were like, you know, the new sexy thing. (laughs) Everybody had to have an app and everybody that had like an idea for an app thought it was just going to change the world. And the question always is, you know, what problem is this going to solve? You know, it was up to me. Like, we're either going to invest in this or partner with you or, you know, or we're going to pass. And the question always starts with what problem are you solving? And, you know, I think this is really profound in the self-defense space is that we have a lot of folks who maybe have huge experience with, you know, a a history of, you know, working in security or being in law enforcement, or maybe they've meddled in some kind of combat art. And so they think that they have the solution. They see the problem and they think they have the solution to it. But what they actually have is a hammer and they think everything looks like a nail. Yeah. And so women are really, I'm going to just focus on women here. Women are really smart. They know that learning how to punch somebody in the face is not going to solve their problems. They know that it's much more complex and nuanced than that. Yeah. And when we kind of, and, and, and I'm not at all going to bash the physical stuff because like the physical stuff will give you a, um, a physical confidence that you, will carry you through life and help you accomplish so much Absolutely. professionally, personally, just being out, I'm not bashing that. But you know, it's, We need to get really real about just because a lot of times I feel like, oh, I can teach you how to punch. Well, that's a that's a solution looking for a problem. And if I'm teaching you how to punch, but I'm not teaching you how to mitigate some of the other situations that may come up for particularly, again, we're talking about women, then I'm really falling short. Yeah. Um, I've worked with women who have done everything they were told to do. They took Brazilian jujitsu and they took Prav <laughs> Maga, which are billed as the answer to self-defense.
0: Everything, right. Well,
1: so they still yeah. went to a party and got sexually assaulted because it was someone they knew and it was at a party and they didn't know what to do at the time. And then there was the aftermath of like, well, do I tell my friends? I don't want to be this person again. So like until you're like actually solving a problem. Yeah. Physical self-defense or any kind of self-defense class is only going to attract the people that say, oh, that's the problem that I have. Yeah. And, you know, with the physical self-defense, you know, you're going to get people like me who, first of all, just love punching things and hitting. Yep. And it's just it feels good and it's a relief.
2: Yep.
1: Um, you're also going to get folks who maybe have been through an experience. Um, and that, Absolutely. and they know that that's a problem. That they need, like, they don't want that to happen again. Yep. And so, if you are teaching physical self defense, and you've got, to, you're going to have a good chunk of people who have had an experience. So you darn better be sure that you know how to deal with folks who are, have been through trauma. Yeah. And I've I've had that experience, and, sure. and just kind of um to tell go back to like why Metropolitan finishing school. It's like I am an expert. I'm really good at walking down the street and like dodging trouble. Like I yeah. can see it a mile away and I can manage it. I'm really good at that. The only person who's ever put his hands on me where it was my ex boyfriend who was like lost his shit. And just like, I was able to protect myself, but it was, um, it was a very bad scene. Yeah. And so for me, you know, doing, getting back into the, into the swing of things was, was so incredibly like helpful and valuable. But I, I feel like, you know, because the dominant voices in self-defense tend to be like coming from law enforcement or military. Yep. Those are people who deal with dark things all the time. Every day. So they know what can happen, right? They absolutely know it. And, and I know that without a doubt, they come from a great place. Like they don't want that to ever happen to anyone else ever again. Yep. But the truth of the matter is most people walking around who don't have to deal with that every day. That's just not a problem to them. Yep. They feel fine. They feel confident. And, you know, I think one thing that's really missing is it's not so much I'm going to teach you how to, you know, punch somebody in the face, but it's about embodying no one's gonna fuck with me yeah pardon my language <laughs> no no it's perfectly fine good, so that was no no you, you can <laughs> okay, drop good. f-bombs ad
0: nauseum if you like it's my favorite word i just oh, uh yeah absolutely oh, good.
1: okay yeah <laughs> i i am i am a big time cursor and i I'm pretty good today, but that, was, that was just like the best place to do it right like no uh, one's gonna fuck with me it's all and, good you know and, you and that's the right attitude to have Oh, right and, and it doesn't have to be you're an angry person either like there's like that distinction Mm-mm. so you know i, I it, so in terms of and, and kelly's story is really interesting because i i talked to her kind of not so long ago
2: yeah. and she's
1: had one like one single self-defense class in her entire life and it sounded like it was a terrible experience yeah. and so for her like she was like oh i i still want to learn stuff but like this is a terrible experience so she hasn't gone <laughs> back and done any other self-defense classes that i know of and then um but she's you know took it on to educate herself. So she reads a lot of books and I know she talks to her husband who's a police officer. So that's like, she's, you know, she's still new in this industry and, you know, kind of learning all this stuff. And, you know, it's, I I think she's like a great case study of someone who, you know, doesn't have the answers, but is grappling for them. And so it's really interesting to watch her grow Mm -hmm. and learn through this. Um, Because, you know, again, that question, why people aren't coming oh heck, you know, I've been grappling with that for decades. My teacher before me has been grappling with that. So it's nothing new, but I think, you know, again, you know, this business nerd over here, I look at it from a business perspective, Absolutely. which is, are you solving someone's problem? Yeah. And I, I'm I that that most classes are not. Yeah. So let me and, ask you, and, and here, not go only ahead. Are they, yeah. Well, I was going to say one more thing. It's like, not only are you not solving a problem that they have but then we resort to fear and tell people okay. well you you better come to my class right because you should be afraid and yeah. you know one thing that kind of i try to focus on it's like instead of being afraid of your environment let's be curious about your environment instead of looking paranoid over your shoulder for the boogeyman Let's like. What's interesting? Like, what changed in your environment today? It might be that your neighbor just painted their shutters a different color, and if you're engaged with your environment, uh, that's that's. Ha- I think of myself as an urban explorer first, and a self-defense instructor second. Yeah. Now that approach may be useless for some people, but that's that's an expression of who I am and the people that I want to reach. No.
0: Um, yeah, and that comes through again, when we were. No, I was just going to say that comes through on your Instagram posts. Very much so. Like, I think that's fascinating about your post is that you're never really directly talking about the subject matter. You're going about it a very indirect way by showing the neighborhood, so to speak. And I think that's a great yeah. way to get people stimulated to start thinking in similar ways and similar fashions. So, yeah, I, I think at least for me, and maybe I'm one of the few that pick up on it. I, I hope not, but it's very obvious that you're the explorer and show it that way. Show your world that way.
1: Yeah. I, you know, one of the best books I've read, um, about situational awareness is not directly about situational awareness, but it's about, um, it's called visual intelligence yeah. by Amy Herman. Are you, are you, do you know that book?
0: I, I have not heard of it, but the, the, the title she, immediately resonated with me. So, yeah.
1: It's, it's so she's a lawyer and she's also an art historian
0: okay.
2: and she
1: teaches looking at art to law enforcement, to CEOs, to medical professionals, and the reason she teaches looking at art, because she it's like a still photograph, one, because when you go out in, in the public, like it always changes and you never know if you're right about things. But with, with in looking at art, she has you like really look and she teaches you how to really look at things and how to deduce things. And then because it's a, a, an art with history, we know, oh, yeah, that is taken at this time and this person, that kind of thing. Um, and to me, it's not directly related to situational awareness, yeah. but to me, it's the best book about situational awareness because it's reading your environment, but not from a place of like that military mindset we run into a lot of like, okay, I'm going through my environment and I gotta look out for who's trying to kill me. (laughs) And like I I inhabit some pretty sketchy neighborhoods. Sure. And I am like not like no one's trying to kill me. You know what I mean? It's like I when I teach classes on Skid Row I have a goal, like, I walk to class, because I shouldn't drive, like, that's just a personal value, I shouldn't drive, like, I need to know what these people are dealing with, and I, like, walk, and it's, like, I've, I've been in some of the sketchiest parts of, of this country, and, and others, and, you know, if, if you can't walk through, like, nice little suburban Cincinnati, or whatever, like, I don't even know Cincinnati, but, like, if you're walking around with that much fear, like, let's go for a walk in Skid Row and like, right. let's, let's talk about how to mitigate these, these environments.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, anyway, I, I just kind of went off on a tangent because my goal no. is like not fear, but curiosity. Yeah. Like, let's get curious. And that way, not only are we like sparking joy in ourselves, but we're also doing that for, you know, kids we may be teaching. Like, who wants to tell your child that the world's a scary place? yeah um, but get them to ask questions and be curious,
0: yeah so, um, this isn't about me, it's about you, but you know, you do make me think like I've got all this knowledge, or at least I think I have all this knowledge, right? It's one of the reasons why I wanted to get started doing what I'm trying to do now. And, you know, I want to give back because I think it's important. I think it's good information. I think it's a lot of information that people don't know or don't have and or a lot of information, dare I say, people don't care about. But the one thing that I haven't done, to your point, is look at it from the business perspective of saying, hey, is there really a problem I'm trying to solve with all this great information that I want to give back with, right, that I want to give back? Yeah. Um, so what what? You know, knowing that people do need to take their personal safety more seriously or get involved with it at all, what is the answer? What is the problem we're trying to solve as a self-defense personal safety community?
1: Wow, you asked me that. Like I know.
2: <laughs> that.
0: Wow. <laughs> what is the problem? You know, I, I've met I've met people from all walks of life that you know they think because they moved into their gated community or moved into whatever town that's why they moved there, so it's safe, and they don't even give it a second thought. I've met people that leave their doors unlocked because they're like, eh, they even sleep with their doors unlocked to their house, and they're like, eh, what's going to happen to me here? Um, uh, most every case of car break-ins, at least that I've known about here around me are directly due to people leaving their car doors unlocked. Like to me, it's a no brainer, right? Or or those even better leaving their keys in their car and their car running and then wonder why somebody drives off in it. But, you know, so for me, the need, uh, is apparent and it's glaringly obvious, but to your point, Is it really solving anybody's problem? And if someone's not interested in it in the first place, is there a problem to be solved? You and I know that there is, right? I mean, I think we both agree that personal safety is important and you should at least have the so-called soft skills versus the physical, if nothing else. But... What is the problem we're trying to solve if that's the angle to take?
1: So I, I do have an answer for you. But before I go there, I want to <laughs> I want to address something else you said, which yeah. was about, and, and I see this all the time from my local PD. It's like, yeah, car break-ins are up and 90% of them are car doors were left unlocked and or stuff open on the seat. Yes. And so. Every time. So, so there's that aspect. And then there's also the aspect of when I, when I teach asphalt anthropology, we break down social versus um, predatory violence. Yeah. And I, there's a, there's an officer I follow here. He's, uh, Dion Joseph, uh, with LAPD. He's been on Skid Row for about 20 years. Amazing human being. If you haven't read his book, um, I can't think of the name of it, but if you just Google him, he is unbelievable. Um, but he, you know, frequently puts out, you know, most of the assaults that I see start as an argument, start out as people, you know, getting into some kind of altercation and then the violence or the robbery escalates. Yeah. Now, sometimes that could be because I get mad at you because you did this thing. And so we argue or it could be I'm I throw out a hook and I call you maybe a slur just to get your goat going. Yeah. And then we argue and to then I fire you up rob you. So, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. so he constantly puts out this message that, you know, and what he sees is, you know, that's how so many robberies, that's how so many assaults start. So I was teaching, um, when I was teaching asphalt anthropology at, um, LAPD Community Police Academy, I was talking about that and I, I just made mention of what Officer Joseph said about, oh yeah, it's, he says the majority and there was an officer in the back and he's nodding and, and I said, well, w- what is the majority? Is that like, 51%? Is that 60%? <laughs> like, could I, could I twist your arm and kind of get a number? Yeah. And he's like, oh, 90%. And, yeah. I, and my jaw just dropped. Yeah. And so I feel like a lot of times that if we realize just how simple it is to like, just to not get into that argument or just to lock your doors, like,
2: yeah.
1: boom, like so much crime is just crime of opportunity and yeah. just don't open it up. Yeah, Um, that's, said i think that and I, i'd like to drill down on those stats more um and i i i, I will just like now not a time to be like getting stats from lipd they're a little busy um i'm curious and t- yeah so i'm kind of curious you know like i i want to lean towards like that might be different for different you know genders that might be different for different demographics Um, You know, there's this myth that women don't get into social arguments and and fight. That's that's not true, but it's definitely less. Um, So I just wanted to point that out that, you know, from the sets that I'm seeing from law enforcement is that you can do like the most simple thing and save yourself 90% of the grief. Um, But to come back to your original question, Jim, which was about the problem we're trying to solve, I think an issue with self-defense in general is that it's that it's general like i want to put on a self-defense class and i want the whole community to come or maybe i just want women to come but it's just it's not specific enough and personally it's like what problem and again it's coming back to what problem am i solving what problem am i solving so if i look at data we talked about data before Yeah, yeah if i want to serve women what what can I do to serve women? If I look at the data, they're usually assaulted by someone they know. Yep. Um, a lot of times it's a domestic violence situation. Yep. So maybe teaching them to beat up the, the, the boogeyman stranger on the street isn't the answer. Maybe the answer, if I want to give back, maybe I go and start a scholarship at the local community college so a woman can complete her education and like be financially independent and get out on her own. Like Maybe that's self-defense. Mm. Um, maybe self-defense, you know, we, we want to measure self-defense mm. by how many people we have in our class, but mm. I don't know that that's the right measure. Mm. You know, we've, it, this thing got under my skin kind of recently. There was, a, um, I, I think Brock Turner case is the most famous of this where someone did a really horrific sexual crime and got like, he got three months or whatever he got. Um, but more recently there was a man in Utah who, uh, sexually assaulted, and drugged people and had videos of children being assaulted. Like, it was just, I won't get into Jeez. detail. It was just gross. Yeah. And this guy wound up getting, the judge gave him like six months in jail. And so you can teach people to punch people in the face all day long, but as long as we have a system that looks the other way or just slaps somebody on the wrist, and so again, I mean, if, if we really want to protect children, okay, what, what are, and this is not my area, but I'm just going to throw out some examples, like children are vulnerable to, um, you know, being preyed on by the internet. Like, okay, like let's look at the detail of that and how can I serve? Again, I feel like, and, and I know this is all well-intentioned, but sometimes we have this hammer and it all looks like a nail and we want to, we want to solve the problem with our hammer but that's not necessarily the answer. And, um, you know, again, I don't, I want to clarify, I I definitely believe in physical training. Um, but if you take a physical class with me, you're going to spend, depending on your lifestyle and and things like that, you're going to spend just as much time hitting a bag as you are practicing getting on a subway with luggage or small children. And how do I navigate that? Yeah. And so it's, 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 it's like those practical day-to-day things. It's like, I may not be violently raped on the train, but I could be sitting on the train and not paying attention and my bag gets snatched. Yep. And so those again, kind of coming back to the mission of Metropolitan finishing school, those are the details that I feel like get left out of self, what we call self-defense training. And I talked to Randy King about this. He's like, I don't know if what you teach is self-defense. And I'm like, you're right. And I'm not attached to that. I just don't know what else to call it. <laughs> um,
0: well, I think you know, there's, there's other
1: aspects to it. No, I was just I, 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 there's just other aspects to it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I have this debate in my head oftentimes, and I've asked other people about it and talked with other people about it. And I, I, I'll, I I don't know, I'll make the statement slash. Maybe there's a question in the mix somewhere, but in my, in my mind, I'm of the opinion that self-defense classes are should be more as much about information as it is the physical training aspects and dare I say the information slash education is more important than the physical would you agree with that
1: yeah I I mean I I don't know how to quantify it in terms of numbers and and I would hesitate to do that because I I think it really kind of depends on a person's circumstances but you know, if we again if we look at the data of, of what leaves people victimized, yeah, it's not because they didn't know how to punch somebody in the face. Like maybe they did or didn't, but you know, it's because they got into that, you know, argument or they yeah. left their cars on their their doors unlocked. Um or alternatively, like I said, in the case of some women I've worked with who have done all the physical things that they were supposed to do, um, but they didn't like this you know, they had had a drink, so they're like they're they they were a little slow to process what happened That's, that I'm clearly not blaming them because they drank. I'm no. just want to be clear on that. But it's just it's just it's like, you know, when, I, when I have a drink, yep. I'm like, oh, wait, what just happened? Right. Yeah. Yes. Yep, yep. And so it's it like it so there's that fuzziness you're wearing you're wearing different clothes. And it's like it's not at all like being on the mat in, in a self-defense uh, class. Um, or crab environment that kind of thing. So you know, it's I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I yeah. think that you know the self defense industry is going through a really interesting revolution right now. Like it, you know, I, and I've I've kind of followed this this path and I'm I'm learning and growing. I don't have the answer, but you know, it kind of starts out as martial arts, yeah. and then there's been voices over the years that have been saying martial arts is not self defense. It's these other things. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I think we need to go. Even further than that, because, you know, we have, you know, things that are focusing on self-defense, but they're just physical or they're coming from the point of view from law enforcement, which, you know, when. and this is a, a challenge I ask people, it's like, name five women in self-defense, period, and people can't do it, right? Like these big names or alternatively like name name names. And it's like, it's always like kind of the military law enforcement background, yeah. which is like completely valuable. And I, I really, I, I've trained with folks and, and yeah. I've learned so much, but you get to the edges of that value pretty quickly because they don't know what it's like to walk down the street and this guy, eye you and press up on you. Right. Like right. those just cat are
0: call otherwise that yeah. we need
1: to, yeah, all that. We need to talk about that. And, you know, that's I think that me too really shone a light on what's missing in a lot of um, the self defense space. And I don't and I say shown a light because I 'cause I don't mean made wrong or negate, not at all, because I also know how the physical stuff has saved people from, you know, assaults and and, 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 and harm. So you know, but it's it's not about um, throwing out the baby with the bathwater, but it's like taking it to the when you listen to people in, you know, who spoke up during D 2 and things that happened, um, we get to see like these these awful dynamics. You know, it's this, this person that's a relative or this person, you know, the older brother's uh, friend or yeah. or the or the boss at work as we get get older. And so, you know, there's a lot of people out in the space like really working out to address that. And, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Marianne Franks. She's a really brilliant lawyer who's talking about, um, some of that stuff. And, you know, there's, there's people doing great work. And I, I just feel like I'm over in my little corner of the world doing my aspects of it. Yep. Um, and, you know, that's it, it, the thing. Like, I think. As self-defense instructors, we care about people, right? That's yeah. why we put
2: yeah.
1: time and energy and training. And, like, yeah, and of course, it's disappointing. You, you you create a class and no one comes. That's, yeah. That sucks. I've, I've been there. Yeah. And at the same time, so there's this deep passion, but we really need to, like, listen. It's about listening to what people's needs are and not being like, I know what's best for you. You need to learn how to do this. Because um, that's just not... It, it, you know, it only gets us so far. And, and one of my goals with Asphalt is I want to get this information in front of people who would never walk into a physical self-defense class. Yeah. And yeah. I am really excited when those are the people that show up, you know, people maybe with disabilities or older people. Um, I, that just makes my day.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, that goes back to the point that I was attempting to make is that for me, it seems at least again, with all this stuff I have floating in my head, uh, it seems the information and the education pieces are just as, if not more important than the physical, but from my limited experience in teaching, uh, and training in and teaching Krav and whatever else, um, The problem is, is that the information doesn't sell. Like you can't get students in to take a two hour seminar and learn about stuff, but you can sell a seminar for two hours of physical beating up training and whatever else, because The physical training part is the sexy part. And just in general terms, the sexy is what sells. Like if I told you I was going to give you an informational self-defense seminar for two hours, you'd be like, "Eh." but if I was going to tell you how to do a knife disarm and a gun, you know, whatever, and how to get out of a choke, you'd be like, hey, I might check that out. That's cool. The reality of it is. A lot of things have gone wrong and likely, I dare say, you've done a lot of things wrong to get to the point where you're needing those skills in the first place. Let's back up and talk about situational awareness or de-escalation or, you know, dare I even say compassion, right?
1: Yeah. And so I'm going to pick on you for a second because when you describe the two scenarios, you talked about the soft skills and then then the physical, even in your voice. Yeah. I could feel excitement about one and mm, about the other. I'm and, excited
0: about the information.
1: Like, I think, okay. Well, I, I yeah. kind of picked it up for the other so I I, I apologize for over analyzing. No, no, it's this, fine. This, reading, but this I, is fun. But I, I do, I do feel like it, it is how we talk about it and how we present it. So like yeah. maybe what we don't call it is, you know, a two hour informational, but you know, I mean, that's pretty much what asphalt anthropology is. Yeah. And it, it's, 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 you know, again, I, I'm trying to fill a particular need of, you know, the community I live in. Um, you know, I, I, I don't have an answer for you. I think it it's like in any business, again, just kind of thinking about it from a business point of view, it's like you try something and you see what works and you see what doesn't and you keep changing it. And like, so if you keep like doing the same thing over and over again, that is the definition of insanity as they <laughs> right. say. Yeah. Um, but I get it though. Right. Cause we're passionate and it's like, I've been doing this like you like a long time. And like I said earlier, it's like, it just won't quit me. Yeah. And you know, but, as, as, and, and, but I also have different goals, right? Like I don't have aspirations to make this my, um, my full time career. I sure. love doing it and I love having the conversations. Yeah. I love being on Instagram and having those, those conversations. um, But, you know, and maybe, you know, maybe it's, maybe I'm checking it out and saying like, it's just too hard. So I'm just going to go with, with, you know, the easy, but, um, I don't know. Sometimes I think about it, Jim, sometimes it's like, uh, you know, nobody wants to like plan their funeral or like buy
2: insurance, right? Those
1: are the dark things. And so it's like, maybe what can we learn from a funeral director? Like, look at them. Like, how do they make those free sales? Um, But, you know, I I, and maybe I hate to sound resigned or whatever, but I don't think that like, you you know, the self-defense industry as it exists is for everybody. And I think it's our challenge is to figure out how to make it for more people. Yeah, Um, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. You know, again, that's
0: the ongoing puzzle.
1: If if we want to get at. Yeah, but if we, if we really want to get at what you know, like I'm serious, like maybe what there is to do is to start a scholarship at your local community college, and like even if it's just enough to pay for books, like maybe that's that's it, or advocating um for laws that get differ, you know, punishment for you know, like that guy who got six months. Like, you know, we we in self defense, we think it's just about getting bodies in classes, but I I don't know that that's the measure. That we should always be using. I, I feel like if you also are kind of out there advocating in a variety of ways, people yeah. are going to be attracted to you and be like, "Oh, this guy gets it."
0: Yeah, all good points. All good points. Is there anything is that too else far
1: out for you? I know it's it's I, I know it's not the mainstream point of view. So
0: no, no, no. Funny. I don't. I know it's not it's too far out. No, the the question is legit. Like I struggle with it all the time. I, I, You know, I would like more people to take into consideration their personal safety, do something about it and realize it's their responsibility to do so. Do I have the answers on how to make all of that happen? No. But that's why I want to have continue to have these sorts of conversations to get the perspectives, because you do raise some interesting points that not everybody's talking about kind of outside the box. Right.
1: Yeah. You know, and you just like you, you just like have fun and enjoy with those people that are showing up. And like, yeah, I don't know. I I just, I don't really worry about people who aren't my audience. You know, it's like, sure, I want everyone to have this information, but like, I don't know, that just sounds so stressful to worry about everybody. Yeah, Maybe I'm lazy.
0: No, I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, it's like another business adage. Like when you say, well, what's your target audience? And you, you love getting the response from some folks that are like, well, everyone, we want everyone. No, 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 no. You, you can't have everyone. Yeah. You can't possibly market to everyone. You've got to have a target audience or at least, you know, maybe a few. Right. So what's your target audience? No, we want to talk to everybody. Okay. To your point. Maybe it's just those that are seeking it already and hopefully that, that group will grow over time. But in the meantime, um, you're talking to those that are interested. I don't know.
1: Yeah. You know, when I, when, when I ran the the martial arts school and we had a really solid self-defense program, I mean, it was about, uh, we did a lot of partnerships and worked with a lot of like, we worked with the schools and the school districts. We worked with like, um, Everything from the junior league to Girl Scouts. And so it was, it was, you know, really kind of getting out there and doing, you know, a lot of free stuff as well as paid to, to supplement the other. And it's, to me, it was about just kind of really being a part of the community. Um, more power to the people who are, you know, out there kind of teaching this all over the place. Um, my personal preference is to just like be in my community and affect change where I can. And, you know, people, you know, where, where people come from is like word of mouth and having a good product. And, um, you know, just, just kind of going, just, it, it's a grind. Like, yeah. just running a martial arts school for seven years. I, I mean, you it's talk a to any martial arts instructor. It is a grind. I mean, it is what it is. And, I keep, yeah. you know, just to be smarter business people about it um, and to just kind of keep, you know, keep adapting.
0: Yeah so this isn't meant to put you on the spot i may have done that a couple of times already i'm just trying to ask questions and have the conversation right we've talked about how you know one of the failings and i completely agree one of the failings of typical self-defense training is ooh, let's have the painter that happens to have the white fan with no windows show up on saturday for the seminar so we can grab you and throw you in the back of it and you gotta escape and get away because that's the boogeyman that we're teaching you defense methods to get away from, right? But we know that's not the large percentage of what women have to deal with. What is the one thing that you would try to teach in a class for women dealing with reality of the situation, right? Not the boogeyman jumping out from behind the alley or the bushes, but the uncle or the ex-boyfriend or the boss, whatever. What's the one piece of information or self-defense technique either soft skill or physical that you would give to them
1: uh well that's a really interesting question because i i feel like that's what i do in asphalt and you know if i kind of go back over the outline there's like several bullet points that you know i think are important right it's, it's the myth blessing it's you know the mindset it's the actual street dodges like using concealment using camouflage pine corners so there's Like, I feel like I distill a lot of that into asphalt. But if you're going to pin me (laughs) to just, like, one kind of, like,
0: One bit of information, yeah.
1: It would, yeah. And it's not even, like, a thing how to do, but it's the mindset. It's, like, that you are worth defending.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And that's a good point to end on. Beverly, this has been great. Uh, how can people find you? How can people reach out and sign up for Asphalt? Is that local? Can they take online classes? Like, How can they get a hold of you and do this stuff? Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so the best way to get a hold of me, um, you can come to my website. If you uh, Google, it's metrofinishschool.com, um, and I can send you links if you like, um, or I, I think you might have them. But uh, that's my website. You can sign up for Alerts, I, I keep a blog, which, um, it tells stories about life and how I kind of dodge stuff. Like I, I'm not kidding. Something seems to happen every week. Um, it, it's crazy out here. <laughs> um, but I'm most, I'm most active on Instagram where I post every day and it's either something about street dodges, how to avoid trouble, something I saw. And sometimes it's just like really cool street art. Cause as we talked about, it's about, um, really you know, appreciating the world you're in, not moving through it fearfully. So, you know, if you're looking for something, you know, that's that's about moving through public spaces that's not fear-based, I'm your girl. Um, And also, if you're interested in what I'm talking about, I am in the middle of a manuscript working on a book that talks about particularly the target audience is women taking back public spaces nice. um not necessarily through a punch in the nose but we're not <laughs> you know we're not leaving that off the table either yeah. um so you know hop on over to my website sign up you'll get alerts on that um and my newsletter um i just sent it out today so the, the July will be the next one um but yeah i love would love to hear from folks and um keep this conversation going
0: absolutely Well, we appreciate it. This has been great. And thanks so much for taking time out and joining us.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.